It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Michael Reed Show. Wednesday morning, the 4th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Last night, the doll was told that the Rebuilding Ireland Action Plan for Housing and Homelessness has been published for almost three years and that for the third year in a row, the government has failed to meet the target set out in the plan with a stated target of 121,000 homes being built by the end of 2021. It is clear, according to the Social Democrats, that the plan has failed. Another aim of Rebuilding Ireland was to address the housing waiting lists with well in excess of 100,000 individuals uh, and families on the list when Rebuilding Ireland was published. According to Rebuilding Ireland, HAP and RAS will deliver 58,560 housing solutions. Now, just housing solutions over a period 2018 to 2021. Catherine Murphy of uh, the Social Democrats introducing a motion of no confidence in Owen Murphy, the Minister for Housing, that called for him to be removed from office. But Finnegale argued that the problem was caused by Fianna Fáil. The housing organisations in this country, the people who are building, were absolutely shattered by the Great Recession that was caused by the mismanagement of this country for years before Fine Gael and the then Labour government took over. Regina Doherty, Fianna Fáil TD for me. These Thomas Byrne is on the line with us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Thomas Byrne. Thanks for joining us. Uh, do you agree with Regina Doherty that this was caused by Fianna Fáil? No, I don't. I mean, I think the government is in place now uh, for almost nine years, I think it's about time that Regina Doherty, Owen Murphy, Damien English, the whole lot of them took responsibility for what they're actually doing themselves. I mean, there's no way to run a country uh, to come into Dáil Éireann, and I was there for all of the debate, to come into Dáil Éireann and to say that somebody else was responsible for it. And incidentally, the Taoiseach at one point blamed John Gormley of the Green Party because he was Housing Minister at some point in, in the past. I think I think that that really is insulting, I think, to people who are in housing difficulties, who are trying to buy a house, who are homeless. I think they really should take responsibility for themselves. And look, I think the truth is that in about three three months' time, maybe four months' time, the public will have a chance uh, to give their judgment on Fine Gael and they will, uh, and I don't think uh, that type of speech by Regina Doherty will wash in any election debate that's coming up. The public simply won't buy that. They're not very thankful, are they, given the support uh, you gave uh, to the government last night uh, to turn around and blame you for causing the problem? Well, we're not looking for thanks, Michael. Um, we didn't support the government. We abstained in the vote. The reason we abstained in the vote is, is, vote is that we have an agreement uh, with the government to have confidence in supply. This was a confidence vote. This will be over now in a few months' time, and I think the government will have the chance then to let the people judge them uh, and let the people run them out of office if that's what the people want to do, and I suspect that it is. Um, and, I, we, you know, gratitude, whatever, I, I think it's a bit 
it's a bit small of the government, I think, the way they go on. Uh, but that's the way they are. Um, and they think mainly about themselves, how great they are, how everybody else is at fault. Mm. Uh, and no real understanding. Well, you were asked last night, what's the difference between Francis Fitzgerald and Owen Murphy? You were willing to vote no confidence in Francis Fitzgerald in the run-up to Christmas uh, and not in uh, the run-up to Christmas this year in Owen Murphy. Well, there was no there was no confidence vote at the end of the day. Francis Fitzgerald resigned because the teacher. But you were willing to vote no confidence in her, weren't you? Well, I'm certainly willing to vote no confidence in Owen Murphy at the appropriate juncture. But the difficulty we have at the moment is uh, that Brexit, while almost there, is not quite there yet. And we all have said this a year ago uh, that he felt the dangers of a no deal Brexit were real. Those dangers are definitely receding, but they're not gone yet. Uh, so we want to make sure that that is sorted in the national interest, and that's what Fianna Fáil has done over the last three years but the national interest So you decided to support Owen Murphy and the government because of Brexit but you didn't decide to support uh, Francis Murphy because Brexit wasn't or Francis Fitzgerald because the Brexit wasn't such a a threat is that it? Well Fianna uh, Fianna Gael have a lot of problems with with people of the name Murphy unfortunately at the moment because he's confused it's Brexit uh, the the threat of a no deal Brexit has been particularly acute uh, over the last year with the ups and downs of parliamentary votes uh, in, in, in the British Parliament that is a major problem it's a major problem that we hope would be not solved because unfortunately it's damaging for us either way but at least it will be settled in the next few weeks or the next couple of months that's that's the reality of it and after that we feel a general election which all of the public mm. can have their say in Owen Murphy and I think people will join me in saying vote them out of office is what I will be saying at that time and let Fine Gael go before the public and if the public uh, makes a decision on them but we don't think a general election was a Why would you country. say that then when you're supporting a minister uh, that has not, presided over a situation uh, that uh, saw the latest figures yesterday published very late in the day at that uh, and showed 10,514 people are homeless in this country. Well I, d- I don't support them but I don't want to let Fine Gael off the hook either Michael because well, the reality did. is no I did not and I'll tell you why I didn't because the reality is if Owen Murphy was, 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 was let go out of his job last night you would quickly find a new minister will be appointed very, very quickly. Fine Gael would then attempt a fresh start at housing, as they have done, by the way, uh, since Dennis Nocton came out of climate change. We don't want to let them off the hook. We want the people uh, to put them on the hook to, to, to vote them out of office as soon as the general election happens. And it can't come quick enough in do, my do opinion, you think? Right? Do, you, do you think if people had a, a vote tomorrow or on the 27th of this month or the 28th of this month uh, that they would vote Fine Gael out of office? I think they probably would. So why did you not represent people last night? Because you had a vote. And, and what, which way did you vote? Just tell our listeners which way you voted. We, we voted in accordance with the Conference of Supply Agreement. That which we way did you vote? Did you vote for or against the minister? I abstained on the vote. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't vote? I abstained on the vote, which is in accordance with the Conference of Supply Agreement. And it was so, so, all of so, so you didn't vote? I abstained on the vote in accordance with the Conference of Supply Agreement. That, that's, no surprise, that's no surprise to you. Doesn't, that mean, doesn't that mean you didn't vote? It, no, it means we voted abstention, which is one of the three votes you can have in the dock. But that is not for or against the motion. Well, it, for for the reasons that you know well, Michael, which are which is that we have a confidence supply agreement with the government. We have stuck to that. We've stuck to it honourably. We haven't engaged in petty games uh, or blame games the way Finnegan have. We want this to end as quickly as possible. It should have ended before now, but we realised that the Brexit was a was a clear and present danger to this country, and we felt that it wasn't appropriate to have the uncertainty of a general election in this country, as we've seen uncertainty in the UK uh, over the last year. We thought it was better that we would do things properly here. Uh, 
when there's a general election, it'll happen. It will take time to sort out a government. Uh, we don't think that that was appropriate sorting out a government in, 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 in early January uh, because, because the government would need to be fully focused on Brexit. And that's mm. the reality of it. But there is going to be a general election very shortly thereafter. And I'm looking forward to that. I don't think Fine Gael ministers are looking forward to that. But I am not going to allow them uh, to reset their agenda on housing with a new minister for housing, which inevitably would happen if Owen Murphy was got rid of any of Regina Doherty and Helen McAtee, the whole lot of them beyond the radio this morning saying, yeah, it's not great with a new minister now. This is this is a new start and all of it. This is, that's exactly what would happen. This new start should happen in a general election where the public has their say and that is going to happen very, very soon. I was talking to Peter McVerry yesterday uh, about how Santi might find it difficult to find children on the 24th of December or children might be fretting that they'd wake up on Christmas Day uh, and Santa forgot couldn't find them, uh, or maybe forgot about them because he didn't have a, an address for them uh, uh, on Christmas Eve. Uh, and he was speaking about government policy and housing to us. I'd like them to say, look, you have to admit rebuilding Ireland isn't working. There are parts of it that are working, but on the whole, rebuilding Ireland is not working. We need to sit down, sit down with all the stakeholders, sit down with ourselves, with Focus Ireland, the Simon community. Sit down with the, the, the academics who are ex- expert in the, in the housing uh, area. Sit down and let's rebuild Rebuilding Ireland. And Fianna Fáil abstained from the vote. You didn't vote, uh, Thomas Byrne, no, on we, this one I, way or the other. We, and what we, hear, what we heard this morning very clearly was that this was Fianna Fáil's fault. Fine Gael says it's your fault. Uh, I'm not playing a blame game except that the people, except against the people that are in power and that is Fine Gael. And as to why Owen Murphy is still in office, you've got to ask people like Regina Doherty, people like Damien English who voted for him to stay in office last night. I completely agree with Father McFerry um, as to what he's saying. Rebuilding Ireland is not working. But that is not going to you know, suddenly changed the situation at Christmas. If there was emotional no confidence last night and Owen Murphy was gone, you'd have about a month uh, of PR from Fine Gael ministers, a new minister there reading into his brief and not Well, that's not what Owen Murphy no. said. It's not what the Taoiseach said. The Taoiseach said we'd be voting in a general election on the 28th of December. Well, well, that's what they said and that is that is probably the likelihood. Uh, but also the point of make is that would not put one more present under a Christmas tree for any child or put any child under a roof that they weren't currently going to be under for Christmas. That's, that's the but truth. There, but, but the truth is that you didn't want that to happen because you know that you wouldn't uh, do well in a general election that's, on the 28th look, of December. Mike, Mike how, 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 why do you say that? We had a by-election where four by-elections across them. We came, we easily came first in terms of number of votes, and you count them all up. Uh, we won two out of the four seats. We never fear an election. I ran for election in 2011. I don't fear general elections. Um, the general election will happen when it happens. It could have quite easily have happened had numbers gone very slightly askew last night. But the, what Fianna Fáil did was what we have said we would do over the last number of years, which is abstain in key votes, because we felt that a general election wasn't in the public interest. But a general election isn't fully under our control. The teacher can call an election any time he wants, is what he indicated he would do. The opposition, if they manage to defeat a government minister, uh, can effectively do that as well. So, Fianna Fáil can do it as well, yes. 
Absolutely, but there mm. are different people that can do it. But we have said that we don't believe it is in the national interest. We said this consistently for the last year until Brexit is fully sorted and settled. And that is likely to happen very, very soon. And mm. then there will be a general election after that. And that's been our consistent position. We did not want the uncertainty. We do not think that would help any child or help any uh, homeless family to have uh, chaos in this country in terms of an election, in terms of negotiating while the government is trying to negotiate them with the EU and with Britain. We didn't think that was right. That situation is outside anyone's control in this country but it's going to be over or at least settled very soon and then we can have the election. Father Peter McVerry who we heard a, a moment ago wrote to the Irish Times yesterday and he said in that letter I attended court with a young homeless boy who had been charged with theft of a bottle of orange value one euro. Another homeless man was charged with theft of four bar- bars of chocolate value three euro. Another homeless man was charged with theft of two packets of Silcut cigarettes. A TD on his way to or from his full-time very well-paid in Brus- job in Brussels stops by at Dollar and to sign in so that he can collect his full 51,600 euro expenses for his attendance in the Dáil. Uh, a Tale of Two Cities was uh, the headline that was put over that. Well, sure, you're going to have to ask Fine Gael, uh, ministers about this. The Taoiseach has stood over Dara Murphy TD, who I assume that letter is mm. about, who has worked full-time in Brussels yeah. uh, for the last number of years, showed up late last night. Mm. It's absolutely disgraceful uh, what's been going on, and it is disgraceful what the Taoiseach said he was doing. Yeah, he was there job. at the end of the day, like Fianna Fáil, he was there at the end of the day to support oh, well, Fine Gael, sorry, wasn't sorry. He? He, he? He showed up, he showed up yeah. late last night, from yeah. what I could see. The rest of us were there all day doing the job that we're elected mm. to do. And I think to, to start, you know, using him as sort of the example of what all TDs are like, it's mm. disgraceful. Himself and then the Kenny turned up. Uh, the invisible well, man of the 32nd doll is William uh, Lord. I don't, I don't, I don't really know Dara Murphy at all. In fact, mm. some of my colleagues didn't even know what he looked like. But the teacher has said he was doing a great job. His main job was in Europe. And I think Finnegale ministers and TDs need to be asked about that. Do they agree with what the teacher said about Dara Murphy? It is outrageous uh, that that situation could pertain mm. over the last number of years and that he wasn't doing it in secret, but in full, with the full permission yeah. uh, of Dar- the Dara Dar- Murphy and Kenny uh, turned up out of nowhere and voted uh, alongside Michael Lowry and Noel Grealish, Fianna Fáil, uh, and Fine Gael. We did not vote in the same way as they did. Well, your your your, your vote uh, in how it was used resulted in the government we, we, remaining we, we in we office voted, and the we minister in accordance with our confidence supply agreement. We did not vote confidence in Owen Murphy. I don't have confidence. how you used I your vote resulted in the minister remaining in office. I want Owen Murphy out of office as soon as possible. No, you but don't. I do not. I do not want to no, give Finnegale. I do not want to give the chance that's, to open a new page on housing. I want them out of office in the general election. That's not true. The housing crisis. You, you I want the housing crisis. You should retract that statement now, in fairness, because if you wanted him out of office, you had the opportunity last night and you didn't take it. We want Finnegale out of office, and the only way to get them out of office is to put them before the people uh, in the spring. And I am looking forward to that, and I hope that the people would agree with me. That well, we it is now. That's true. We need a change. It, that, that, that's policy. true. The only way to do it is in the spring now, because you didn't avail of the opportunity last because, night. Because, because, because every voter now would have the chance to put the whole lot of them out of office and to get a fresh start in housing, where actual policy changes and simply not PR and spin, where we actually get more people into homes, where we put more uh, rules under people's heads, where we get certainty for children where Santa isn't confused about where children live. Uh, this is what we want. We want to change this radically and I think there is a general consensus in the Dáil among all of the opposition parties despite the disagreements last night between the Social Democrats and Fianna Fáil. You will see parties, non-Fine Gael parties working together on city councils uh, across the country to try and make a serious effort at getting people into housing and I think that's what this Dáil needs. It needs a Fianna Fáil 
Fianna Fáil government support uh, in, in coalition with those smaller parties uh, to make a radical change uh, on the housing situation. That is what we would be campaigning for in the general election that's coming up, to get this entire Fine Gael government out of office. And it cannot happen quickly enough. I would have had no problem uh, with a general election personally uh, during Christmas. None whatsoever. But I think the country would, would potentially have had a major problem if Brexit, Brexit wasn't sorted. We will all have that chance uh, to run this government out of power uh, sometime in the spring. It's going to happen very, very quickly. Okay, all right. Uh, we may be talking about Brexit in the spring, but uh, by the sounds of things, we'll also be talking about a, a general election then. But we leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. Fianna Fáil TD for me, the East Thumbsburn. The Michael Reed Show. In about an hour from now, Lisa Smith should be released from Kevin Street Garda Station and at liberty to go home to Dundalk or wherever she wishes, unless she is charged, because at about half past ten this morning she must be released or charged. Let's talk about this with Stephen Breen, crime editor with the Irish Sun. And a very good morning to you, Stephen, and uh, thanks for joining us uh, at half ten. That will be a, a period of detention and questioning of seventy-two hours. And it's at that stage that the guards must make up their minds. Is it? Yes, that's it. I mean, that's the end of the uh, discussions that Lisa Smith will be having with Gardy. There'll be no more opportunities under the current legislation for further extensions to interview her. Um, as we speak, I, I know the Gardy just this morning, just about 15, 20 minutes ago, had, an, uh, had discussions with the DPP. So those discussions are still taking place. And I think so. Obviously, we'll, we'll need to know pretty quickly within the next hour whether or not the DPP has indicated that she should be charged in relation to the, the, the offences that uh, Gardy have suspected her of involvement in. All right, and you're reporting uh, this morning that part of the case that Gardy may build up against Lisa Smith will be based on interviews that she did elsewhere. Yes, well, there are two, um, in relation to the warrant that, that was given to uh, Lisa Smith, there, there are two issues contained within that warrant. And the first one is that she's been uh, accused of being a member of a, 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 a legal organisation, namely um, uh, Islamic State. And secondly, that she also provided material assistance to that organisation, and that could be training, that could be money, and that could be um, different aspects there. But obviously she has vehemently denied any involvement. Her solicitor has been quite emphatic that she has uh, denied being involved in any terrorist organisation, any terrorist uh, campaign. So, but as part of the Gardaí's um, investigation, you know, they will be liaising with um, people like uh, and groups such as Interpol, uh, the FBI, and other uh, security agencies, people who have a presence in Turkey, people have a presence in uh, Syria as well, because mm. it's not like if she was uh, arrested here, say, for example, on suspicion of being a member of a prescribed organisation such as the IRA, you know, a chief superintendent could go into a court and say, mm. yes, it's our belief that she's a member of this organisation, but they need evidence, and that's going to be hard to come by. And uh, the evidence, as part of the overall investigation, does relate to interviews that she gives and um, two investigators investigating uh, IS on three occasions earlier this year. And moving to Syria is moving to Islamic State, but Islamic State is not a, a prescribed organisation. It's a territory uh, in the eyes of some and is not the organisation ISIS. So when Lisa Smith said she lived in Islamic State, that's yes. a, a fact. Uh, but she has gone on to say that she was not a member of ISIS and did not involve herself in, in any fighting. 
Absolutely. I mean, she obviously, you know, in the past, uh, she was a, a target uh, for the Guardies. The Guardi were aware of her sympathies for the, the Islamic State cause. Um, but that doesn't mean just because you have a sympathy for a particular ideology or, or viewpoint that you're engaging in, in mm. terrorist activity. So that's what, where the problems lie. And this will, will be interesting to see what evidence the Guardi have if they, if the DPP deem it's, that there, there's enough there to, to bring her before the courts. But she's adamant that, that you know, that she didn't engage in any, any fighting, she didn't engage in any terrorist activity on behalf of ISIL. You know, it's just all part of the, the, the same group. So she she's adamant that, and her solicitor has maintained that, that yeah. just because she went to a certain location doesn't mean that she was a, a terrorist or engaged in terrorist activity. Uh, just outline to us, uh, if you can, uh, what you think might happen at, at half ten. I suppose uh, there's two possible scenarios. Uh, one is uh, that she's charged, uh, the other is that she's not charged. And let's uh, start with uh, the latter. I take it that uh, she'll be free to walk out uh, of uh, the Garda station uh, at that stage herself, if that's what she chooses to do. But I would imagine she'll be offered some sort of protection. Yeah, well, if she, as part of the, the overall guard investigation as well, since her return to Ireland, there are other elements of the guard investigation, not just about into her um, alleged support for Islamic State. What the Guardi also had to do was um, initiate a risk assessment on a number of different factors. One would include if she uh, was a threat from someone else, if the Guardi had received intelligence that her life uh, might be under threat because of her um, support for Islamic State. Secondly, also, is it possible that, that she, because of her, her views and her sympathies in the past, you know, with Islamic State, is it possible that she could re- uh, recruit or uh, initiate people to to support that yeah. uh, group as well? So that that's that's part of it too. But you know, they will have to, I'm sure, keep an eye on her. That there's a lot of mm-hmm. tension out there at the moment. Her family are adamant that they're going to support her. I mean, she's a mother, mm-hmm. she's a daughter. So and and no doubt, if she was released without charge this morning, she would be under surveillance. I think anybody would uh, accept that. But uh, I assume she doesn't have to accept protection if that's what's offered. Yes, that's the case as well. And if she is uh, released without charge, it just depends if she's released unequivocally or if she's released without charge pending a file to the DPP. So Mm. if that file is being processed while she is back integrated into the community, then obviously the Guardi will have to monitor her. She's someone who has been to Syria. She has, you know, first-hand knowledge of of the fighting that's ongoing Mm. there. And she will be someone who will be continue to be monitored by Guardi, as she was in the past. And uh, should, she left. should be should she be charged this morning by Guardi? What happens then? Is she taken to court? She's, if she's if the DPP give direction to the Guardi that there's enough evidence uh, at the moment to charge her with those two offences that that were named in the warrant, then she will be brought to court, and then it will be up to the court to decide whether or not she receives bail, whether or not she's brought into custody. And then that, that will obviously be the start of the legal process. And obviously, she'll have, her first appearance will be in the district court, and then it will then progress further. Uh, but it's unlikely that we'll hear any evidence at, at this stage. So if there is enough for her to be charged, which we'll know very shortly, um, then uh, that's a case of her going to court and then the court's deciding whether or not she should, she should be remanded in custody or released on bail, depending okay. on the, because of the serious nature of the charges.
Okay, well, all of that has to be decided within the hour. Thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. Stephen Breen, Crime Editor with the Irish Sun. Now, let's uh, go to the front pages of uh, the local newspapers uh, because it's Wednesday morning. You have them available to you and your local news agents. We have uh, the papers from across Louth and Meath with us and uh, Marie Kearns is in studio to tell us what's being reported on the front pages. We're going to begin in Meath and a huge uh, sum of money... uh, that uh, people are paying out to deal with illegal dumping, according to the Meath Chronicle. That's right, Michael. It's lead story with the revelation that illegal dumpers are costing us four million every year. And Casey writing that Meath County Council forks out a huge amount to deal with illegal dumping and littering. The shocking figures emerged in the same week councillors learned of one specific incident involving over 70 tonnes of illegally dumped waste, including asbestos, which is likely to set the taxpayer back up to 6 million in clean-up fees. Between 2014 and 2018, the council spent over 19.5 million cleaning up after others. And the problem varies in the volume Mm. from a single bag, Michael, as we've heard of domestic rubbish to truck loads. Meanwhile, also on its front page, the paper is reporting that the government would hold a special cabinet meeting in the OPW offices in Trim on Friday. Okay, to County Louth and uh, the Drawed Independent has been making a list. In fact, uh, (laughs) it's been checking it twice. That's right. Festival fever is hitting the town this weekend. Uh, Michael, as everyone eagerly anticipates, the first Drawed Christmas Festival, which kicks off on Friday, running until Sunday and there's lots to look forward to including a stunning light show outdoor entertainment stalls a vintage Christmas carousel and an outdoor cinema show and Christmas movies and also I'm reliably informed for the younger listeners listening in that even Santa and Mrs Claus will be there. Okay, coverage of Elisa Smith uh, returning home in the papers in Dundalk uh, but you're looking inside uh, the pages of uh, the Dundalk Democrat That's this week. right. On page 8 there's coverage of a wonderful initiative to help elderly residents living in the Cooley area which has been deemed a resounding success. The project has been driven by Michael Muckian of Cooley Community Alert and Garda Kevin Cleary and it covers all of Carlingford and Omeath areas where the old people are visited every four to six weeks, usually by the same Garda every time. So the Garda really get to know the people that they are visiting and they check the property and make sure that everything is secure and it's working really well, Michael. OK, past uh, the Lisa Smith coverage on the front page of the Argus to the inside pages and a story about Garda numbers. That's right. Comprehensive coverage on pages 10 and 11 of the recent Joint Policing Committee one story that stood out was that of an impassioned plea for extra guard resources in Black Rock, which was made by former councillor Donal Lynch, whose father was injured during an attempted robbery at his home earlier this year. Mr Lynch asked why the number of guardy in Black Rock has decreased despite the fact that the population continues to grow with thousands of new homes due to be built. Okay, and uh, the leader, uh, then you're looking at uh, the success of a young woman uh, in Europe. That's right. Dundalk athlete Kate O'Connor has capped off an outstanding year by picking up the Irish uh, Under-20 Athlete of the Year Award for 2019. The Dundalk leader is reporting that the 18-year-old who recently began studying at the University of Sheffield became Ireland's first ever female European or major championship multi-event winner when she won silver at the European Under-20 Championships in Sweden last July. So she's been acknowledged for that, Michael. Okay, well that's uh, some of uh, the stories from the local papers. 
Uh, we'll go back uh, to uh, the motion of no confidence in Owen Murphy as uh, the Minister for Housing. Last night in uh, the Dáil, his uh, Minister of State is uh, Damien English, who's with us now. And a very good morning to you, Minister, and uh, thanks uh, indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, it was uh, pretty tight uh, at the end of uh, the day. Close call for the government, I suppose. Yeah, thanks, Michael, for having me on. Yeah, I suppose it's a close call. Look, that's the joys of being a minority government. Um, over the last three and a half years, we've had a lot of tight votes, and indeed we've lost some of them. So politics has changed probably in, in the way that all works, because, mm. uh, you know, governments don't always win these votes. But it was, um, last night, there was, by a margin of three, the, you know, the motion passed. Or didn't pass yeah, the, the yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, I was uh, talking to Thomas Byrne earlier on. I was suggesting to him uh, that Fine Gael was pretty unthankful given what Regina Doherty was saying uh, about how all of this was caused by Fianna Fáil. Well, I suppose, Michael, to be fair, and if I'd long would have speak myself, I would have also. People need to understand a little bit of history of this. Mm. The main issue when it comes to, we'll say, social housing, Regina spoke about housing in general, but on the social housing, I do believe previous governments, it doesn't matter who was in them, did not build enough social housing. And if you look at an example of that, it would be yeah. 2006. There was about 90,000 houses built in this country. But you're saying it's Fianna Fáil's fault. Sorry, sorry, Michael, I want to make the finish point, please. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that time, 4,500 houses of that 90,000 were social, which is about 5% or yeah. less. This year, nearly 40% of what we build will be social housing. Yeah. So that means we're in a much better position to be able to help people who need accommodation. Who need but you are saying it's Fianna Fáil's fault. I'm saying it's historically in this country, uh, absolutely, uh, governments were generally led by... Fianna Fáil support you, kept your minister in office, stopped a general election, kept Fine Gael in government, and you say it's their fault. I have no problem recognising that Fianna Fáil, in my view, have done the right thing over the last three and a half years by giving stability to this country, by supporting us in government, and allowing us Mm. to implement a housing plan, which is delivering over 10,000 houses socially in 20... But I would would absolutely, when it comes to housing and construction... I would, I think, Fianna Fáil have a lot to answer for for 10 okay. or 15 years of boom where wrong Well, that's that's the thanks they get for supporting Fine Gael, oh, yeah. I suppose. All right. Michael, uh, you know me, I just deal in facts and figures. Okay, and yeah, facts, yeah, facts, yeah. Facts. yeah. Well, I, likewise, I hope. Uh, let's talk about some more of your supporters, uh, Noel Grealish and Michael Lowry. Uh, we'll hear just a, a little bit of a contribution Michael Lowry made to the House last night. I'll put it on the record of this House that... I am not a convicted tax cheat. I am not a convicted tax dodger. And in fact, when I was brought to court, the main charges were withdrawn. And the only mark against my reputation in relation to taxation is that in the year 2006, my company filed an incorrect corporation tax return. And it was incorrect... Let me clarify, it was incorrect because we had overpaid tax. Right, now maybe I should explain. Michael Lowry was allowed to make that personal statement to the Dáil last night because he objected to what Paul Murphy TD had said earlier. And I I think uh, you can put two and two together listening to what Michael Lowry said there uh, and guess what uh, Paul Murphy had said about him. Uh, Do you support Michael Lowry, Damien English, in calling on Paul Murphy to withdraw his comments? Sorry, Michael, I don't know what you want me to do here, but I, well, I don't answer for Michael Larry and I don't speak for Michael Larry, so you need to talk to him about that. And that's an issue between him, Paul Murphy, and the last Concorla. It's not something for me to get involved in. It's not a government issue. Uh, I'm working in the Department of Housing. That's what we were debating last night. 
we got support from a number of TDs to vote to, to keep our housing plan intact, which I think is important because I want to get on with it. You wouldn't be in government if it wasn't for Michael Larry. Michael Larry has called on Paul Murphy to withdraw what he called were scullerous uh, statements made about him in the House. And do you support him in that call? Given the support that he's given to you, given the fact that you're in government because of him. Michael, I don't run the doll. That's the can call job. So you may talk to them. And please, I don't know what you want me to do here, but I, I'm not getting involved in the story with Michael Larry and Paul Murphy. It's nothing to do with me. Um, I have enough to do with my own job, to be honest with you. So the can call runs it all. He can deal with the two deputies involved. Um, and if they've okay. got concerns, they can deal with that. I'm not sure what you want me to say on that. But all right, well, I'm asking that. you about the support, the reason that you're in government, uh, because a lot of people are, are very upset and feel very ashamed about housing and how uh, you've left so many children, let alone adults, uh, without a house uh, a few weeks out from Christmas. Now, uh, Michael Lowry, uh, one of your supporters, as is Noel Grealish, uh, are, are people who have been controversial in recent times. Uh, he became controversial again last night for the same old reasons, uh, uh, but uh, you're you're not backing Michael Lowry this morning. Uh, another thing Michael Lowry is reported to have asked for is a separate fund for housing refugees. Uh, is that something you're willing to support, uh, or would you agree with Noel Grealish that there shouldn't be support for spongers? I'm not aware of any request by any particular TD like Michael Lowry for, for that, but in general we do have um, housing support. We do have a cross-government approach to a, housing, first of all, but B, to uh, accommodation for asylum seekers. And there's a massive investment plan underway there. There's a public um, procurement process at the moment underway mm. where people are tendering to provide accommodation. There is a flow on the, the, the direct provision accommodation uh, ideally would only be temporary for a couple of years and then people, mm. if they're allowed to, to, to remain in the state and move on to raise their families and have yeah. jobs here, they move into housing. But to be clear, Michael, you touched on children who are homeless and that's what we're trying, that's what our housing plan is about. It's about increasing the supply of housing so we can provide a home for those families who don't have one. And thankfully, uh, because we are able to continue with our work now, 5,000 families next year will leave emergency accommodation and will be into a home. And that's what we do this year as well. The year just gone, we did it last year. And if we can con- 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 continue to do that, mm. we will finally be able to end um, families living in emergency accommodation because it's not a okay, nice but, thing but, for what, anybody. And but, that's our aim here. But, so but, I believe but do you agree that there should be a separate fund set aside uh, for people seeking asylum for refugees? That's what Michael Lowry is saying. Or do you agree with Noel Grealish that they're all spongers? Or do you agree with uh, the uh, Commission uh, for Irish Human Rights and Equality, which is over in the United Nations today, telling people across the world how politicians in this country are acting disgracefully? Okay, it's not what I agree with. It's what we are doing. Well, it's it's the basis on which your government is in office. Yes, and you are in office because of the support of Michael Lowry and Noel Grealish. Is that not of concern to you, Michael? Michael, just to be clear, in the Dáil last night, we 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 won by I think fifty six people supported the government's motions. Okay. That's why we're in office. Others chose to abstain to help us remain in office. And to me, that's a positive because we can continue with government, continue with implementing the changes. You won by three. And, if and Michael Larry and Noel Grealish had voted against you, you'd have lost by one, wouldn't you? Yeah, but Michael, yeah. my job is is to implement a housing plan. If Owen Mur- Mur- Murphy and Enda Kenny hadn't turned up, which would have been par for the course... Uh, you'd have lost by three. If Thomas Brinkle had been available, you'd have lost by four. Uh, there is, there, you, you don't have the moral authority to be in office, do you? Well, that's, 
And not really sure what they're trying to do here. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to spell, okay. spell out in black and white the sand that this government is administrating okay, on. Well, that, well, that's fine. That's not what they're asking me the last five minutes. Just to be clear, the fact is, last night, the motion of confidence didn't succeed. And so it doesn't really matter whether it was one or 21. It didn't. So we move on. And we continue with my work today. Uh, again, I continue. I'm in the committee there. I'm on dealing with housing issues. I bring legislation through the Dáil, through the Shannon. I'm here at a property summit. Work continues to try and find more and more solutions and to increase the supply of housing. And the now, vast majority happens, of people uh, in the Dáil think you're, you're uh, performing dismally. In fairness, uh, a lot of people in the Dáil last night made political comments and political observations. I would like to analyse their alternative plans. They didn't have any. We have a plan. We're implementing it. People don't like bits of it. That's fair enough. The alternative plan is clear. Let's hold off having an election because it probably won't go well for us at the moment. Uh, It's politics rather than policy, rather than substance, rather than doing what's the job in hand, which is to govern uh, and uh, to legislate in a way that improves people's lives. Because at this moment in time, this government has failed dismally over a period of three years uh, in terms of rebuilding Ireland. The figures have got worse on every front. So, so, okay, that's your view. And I, and I would agree with you that last night people were playing politics. I don't play politics. Minister Murphy doesn't. Our job is to implement the plans. Now, you would, you are, you're arguing there that our plan's not working. Well, I would beg to differ with you on that, okay? It's, yes, it's not enough because there are still people needing the house, so we have to continue with our work. But in the last three years, since we started this plan, over 100,000 uh, households have been helped find accommodation. In Loud, as an example, okay, in Loud was mm. raised last night. Local, local authority through all the different schemes that we organise through our department, over 3,500 um, families have been accommodated. In Mead, the number is about 3,600. So over the last three years... Peter Fitzpatrick went through the numbers in the Dáil last night about how the numbers have worsened in, in Louth. Peter Fitzpatrick went through some of the numbers, but I have the numbers here, which we published... Peter McVerry said the plan is not working, that you're failing people. I've listened to Peter McVerry and I work extremely closely with McVerry Trust because last week I was on a site with him launching one of their sites. Day two, when it comes to housing supply, had a five-year plan to bring forward 500 houses. We have a five-year plan to bring forward 50,000 houses. We're in year three and we are achieving our targets. But again... How many have you brought forward out of the 50,000? Out of the 50,000 houses, okay, in total supply of housing in this country, it's about 64 thousand out of the out of the of the aim to reach one hundred and twenty one thousand over the next couple of years when it comes to social housing. When you add up all the different schemes and all the, the different deliveries, mm. um by the end of this year we'll be at a hundred thousand. Now the okay. breakdown uh, of that uh, just, just and how many of them have been built? Yeah, so okay, so the breakdown on that is uh, twenty three thousand seven hundred comes from the build, mm. the acquisition, the long term mm. leasing. Mm. About three thousand three hundred will be through the RADS programme and then through HAPDEN it's about fifty seven thousand as well. Mm. So, so you're so, so you're all, renting housing? We're doing a bit of everything, Michael, because that's what you have to do. And again, in fairness, you're right. Last night, people raised concerns with the HAP scheme and said they don't like it. So just to explain to people what HAP is, HAP is where we, while we're building new social housing, we do rent people a house because people want a house today. We have to get them out of emergency accommodation. So we do uh, use the HAP scheme, which is a housing assistance payment, where we help people rent a house. And at this moment in time, there's about 48,000 families are in the home because of that scheme. Now, the majority of the opposition last night said they don't want that scheme, they don't like it. But, Michael, they didn't put forward any solution 
where they would uh, how they would help those 48,000 families in a house okay. without that scheme. Okay, so, Minister, but again, our I, plan here is to build the houses. That's only a short-term scheme while you build the houses. All right, Minister, I have to go to the headlines. I have to leave it there, in other words. So thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. That's uh, Minister of State at uh, the Department of Housing, Finnegale TD, for Meath West, Damien English. The Michael Reed Show. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. Lots of them coming in this morning, particularly in response to the housing and that vote of no confidence. Helen says that she's absolutely livid after listening to the opening piece with Deputy Thomas Byrne. She says that it is their Fianna Fáil's fault that Owen Murphy is still in that role because they abstained from voting and allowed him to stay. She feels it's disgusting to watch the terrible conditions that so many people are being forced to live in all over the country. But our well-paid representatives don't have to worry about that. They don't have to worry about where the next meal is coming from or where they will get the money to heat their homes. Fianna Fáil are an utter disgrace for failing the people like this and for sitting on their hands and allowing this farce to continue, all because they don't want to unsettle themselves by having an election over Christmas. Helen says that she has struggled all her life, but will always do what she can to help others and will do her bit again this year to help the homeless in her area this Christmas. She says that she has been a Fianna Fáil voter all her life, but that changed last night when she saw them fail the 10,000 plus homeless people mm. across the country she will never vote for them and thinks that they are a disgrace. She never I'm not sure. Again. I'm not sure I believe that. I'm always very sceptical when people say I've been a Fianna Fáil supporter or a Fine Gael supporter or a Sinn Féin supporter all my life but I won't vote for them anymore. I always think well you're obviously a supporter of some other party. Uh, Fianna Fáil for their part uh, say uh, that uh, they don't think uh, people want an election over Christmas but that's not why they've decided to abstain in this vote. Uh, They think uh, that there is bigger issues such as Brexit, uh, which are of more importance uh, to the country and that it's uh, the wrong time to have a general election when there's so much uncertainty. While talking about supporters, Pat Inavin is a Fine Gael supporter, he says, and always has been over Ah, the years. I'm in the same constituency Mm. as Damien English and never again will I support Fine Gael again. They made promises in the last election in relation to homeless Mm. and healthcare too of the most important issues that should have been addressed but the housing crisis has never been as bad Mm. and feels that the government ought to be ashamed of itself and says that all the promises that they broke. Mm. So that comes in from Pat and Avon. So uh, one Fianna Fáil and one Fine Gael. I, I don't believe that um, for a moment either. I don't think Fine Gael supporters uh, worry about the housing crisis do they? Well I can't answer mm. for every single Fine Gael supporter Michael. <laughs> Um, I'm sure there's probably some that do. Mm. If you look across the board, I think there's a mix of everybody uh, that are struggling in relation to housing uh, some sort, whether it's trying to get a mortgage or trying to, to actually pay the rent or then you have people then that are desperately waiting for a council house. Anyway, we'll go to some of our, more of our listeners. Uh, says that A listener texter says, uh, Thomas Byrne is clearly happy with the worst housing crisis in the history of the state being allowed to continue. Fianna Fáil are just as responsible for this now because of the stance that they took. Councillor May Viewer was in touch. Shame on all those who abstained or voted for this minister to continue with the abject failure to address homelessness 
social and affordable housing. Three million wasted on emergency accommodation this year in Louth instead of building houses for people. Let's not forget the Fianna Fáil started this housing shortage epidemic. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, she has a, a point, I think, and maybe your is independent and uh, Fianna Fáil says they didn't uh, support uh, the minister or the government uh, but because they abstained uh, there is no doubt uh, that uh, the reason the minister uh, has won the vote and the government has won the vote uh, is because uh, of the Fianna Fáil position but anyway let's uh, hear some more from that debate in the Dáil last night. Rebuilding Ireland was launched in the middle of 2016 it committed to 125,000 new places to live by the end of 2021 we still have two years to go but already we have delivered 64,000 new places to live 26,000 new homes started under construction on new sites in the last 12 months and more than 30,000 homes have planning permission and it is growing. To look at that, in 2013, 4,500 homes built. This year we'll build more than 20,000. That's the most that we've done in a decade. So we're three and a half years into a five-year housing plan. It's got off to a slow start. That was always going to be the case. But we're now making real and measurable progress. And when you're doing that, you don't abandon it. You see it through and allow the next government, which I hope we're part of, to build on it. Three and a half years later, are things really any better? (coughs) Homelessness is up 67%, and child homelessness is up a shocking 81%. The latest homeless figures released today show yet another significant rise, and while the Minister may claim that there has been a decrease in rough sleeping, it is likely that, in fact, this is the result in a change of methodology on last year's count. Social housing output remains glacial. Just over 7,000 real social homes were added to the stock in 2018. In the same year, 14,000 households were moved on to council waiting lists. Now, the Minister tells us that these waiting lists are decreasing, but that's because more and more families are being moved onto HAP tenancies rather into real social homes. Meanwhile, private sector output is way behind target. Rebuilding Ireland promised to, and I quote, ensure that an average of 25,000 homes are produced every year in the period to 2021. Nothing close to this has been achieved. In fact, we're 30% behind target. With output low, rents continue to soar uh, and house prices too. An entire generation locked out of renting or buying their own homes. By every single measure, rebuilding Ireland has failed. And yet, Minister Murphy continues to defend the indefensible. He continues to, com- to claim that his plan is working. Fine Gael has been failing the people on housing as far back as 1924, when Cosgrave was grumbling to the Irish Indo that the private market would solve the housing issue and the problem of the slums. A hundred years later, and Fine Gael is desperately looking towards its buddies in the development game, desperately hoping they'll produce the magic houses out of the sky. when they talk about houses built. The houses these guys are building must be in Brigadoon because they disappear as quickly as the reality dawns on them. And the people know that when it comes to the big ticket issues such as housing in particular, it's only Fianna Fáil that will solve that. I open my comments about relationships and ultimately for us in Fianna Fáil, the only contract and relationship that matters is the one that we have with the Irish people. 
And no matter what slurs the buckles on the far side are going to try and hurl at us, we know that when it comes to delivery on the housing market, there's no one else other than the Fianna Fáil administration who will get the drive to do things done. And, and your own councillors are even saying it to us. Your own councillors are even saying it to us. Deputies, please. For their part, Fianna Fáil engage in shadow boxing. They make a whole pile of noise, as you've just heard. But when push comes to shove, they'll come in here, sit on their hands and support their buddies in Fine Gael. They back this government to the hilt. In fact, in reality, Las Cancorla, they are part of this government. And with his abstention here today, Micheál Martin and Fianna Fáil show very clearly whose side they're on. Cancorla, or Las Cancorla, with respect, uh, Mary Lou, Deputy Mary Lou, you talk about an ambitious plan that Sinn Féin have. If you add up the figures in your so-called ambitious plan, it doesn't match what the this government has ring fence money to do. And my call is for every. Yes, I will interrupt it. No, no, I, no, if no, I can no, finish, no, I can no, finish. You've got the minute now. If I can finish, no, no, I didn't get my minute. Right, Minister. You can look to your colleagues if you only got a minute. No, I'll ask you to protect my minute. I'm moving on. I won't call to make anybody else here commit to our plan and reinvent the same amount of money as well and make sure they deliver over the next couple of years. You want to make it clear. I gave you you almost two minutes. Not interrupted one minute. Interrupt us. No, 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 no. Look at your, look inwardly, not at me. Deputy uh, Russian Shortall. Somewhat amused by the similarity of scripts between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Uh, it was the single transferable script uh, and you know you do come from the same background and have, hold the same kind of ideology. Um, you know and there isn't a cigarette paper between you. Roisin Shorthall, Damien English, Mary Lou MacDonald, Shane Castle, Zono Brin, Leo Ratker and Owen Murphy. Some of uh, the contributions made uh, to uh, the motion of no confidence in Owen Murphy as the Minister for Housing in the Dáil last night, a motion which was uh, defeated by three. Now back to some more of your calls, Marie. And staying with that topic, Michael, Marie from Drada says, shame on Fianna Fáil. How can they look us in the face and say that the government is doing a terrible job on one hand and then abstain in a vote of no confidence in Owen Murphy when so many people are homeless? And she's not happy with that. So let me get this clear, says Grania. Thomas Byrne thinks Owen Murphy is not doing a good job, but yet he's abstained. That's not why he was elected into office. Jimmy phoned in to say, Michael, do you not know they've already formed a new party? It's called Fianna Gael. Still insists that they didn't vote against the government or with the government. I'm sick of the whole bloody lot of them, says Jimmy. And then they're trying to interfere with the bingo, uh, something that people enjoy. I don't think bingo players should be targeted. It's not like slot machines, which are addictive, says Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you let Fianna fall off the hook, says Richie from Tala. The confidence and supply finished at the last budget. Sean says it's obvious that Fine Gael have no respect for Fianna Fáil, blaming them still for the current housing crisis. Yet Fianna Fáil continue to back them. I'm a Fianna Fáil member all my life, life says Sean, and I'm furious. Mm. Uh, Jim and Navin says I hope the Irish people realise that this government, how out of touch this government is. They are getting away with too much spoofing and it's time for them to go and say that Dara Murphy should be made to hand back that money. 
So lots coming okay. in there. You've got a vote though, Michael. Talking about votes. Yeah. We had a text in from Mary to say, Michael, I'd give you my vote anytime. I'm a big fan of you and the show. So okay. there you go. All right. Yeah. I think she probably <laughs> listens to a different radio station. <laughs> All right. There we go. Uh, we'll leave it on that. No, thanks right. uh, for that, Mary. Thanks for everybody who's been in touch. Thanks, Marie, for that matter. I suppose we've been giving out about insurance, the cost of insurance and how people have been making claims, uh, which has been leading and feeding into uh, that cost over a long period of time. Sinn Féin has made a, a number of proposals which they say will make it fairer for people who need to take out insurance. It is an important piece of legislation. It does deal with issues such as insurable interest. It does to ensure that, for example, the interpretation of a contract of insurance will be interpreted to the benefit of the consumer where there is confusion. It will ensure that issues such as the warranties that we discussed earlier on will not be a way where insurance companies can wriggle out of paying legitimate claims. It will ensure that the consumer no longer has to volunteer information and try and second-guess what the industry is looking for but place the requirement on the industry to ask the questions and an obligation on the consumer to answer honestly those questions. Sinn Féin's Piers Doherty speaking in uh, the doll about his uh, consumer insurance contracts bill. Piers Doherty is on the line with us now and a very good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us. As Ruria Muraku told us uh, you'll be meeting with people in the Imperial Hotel in Dundalk tonight to talk about insurance and the rip-off uh, that is involved in taking out insurance as you see it. What's the purpose of this meeting? Yeah, well, look, this is part of a, a series of meetings. I think I've done well over a dozen of them um, across the state. And, and the, the theme of them is end the rip-off, share your story. Um, and it's crucially important that people do share their story with me. Um, the, those that have already shared their story, and I've had uh, you know hundreds of, of stories told to me about uh, different aspects of the insurance industry and how they feel they're being ripped off. But many of those stories I've been able to use in directly challenging the industry themselves, challenging the central bank. But most importantly, uh, uh, as part of the 130-page submission I made to the central bank and the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, I was able to use a number of those case studies to show how the insurance industry here are using practices that are illegal uh, in the majority of states across America uh, are being proposed to be made illegal in, in, in Britain, but yet here uh, the central bank or the competition authority are, are, are allowing it to, to, to take place. And that is the practice of dual pricing, where insurance companies decide to give you the, the dearest price they can using a lot of data that they have on you that you're in some cases unaware that they have some of that data, maybe data you've given to them in your renewal. Other data could be data that they purchase from third parties, like uh, like value stores or you know uh, credit cards or indeed your um, the, the likes of Irish Rail and so on and so forth. Uh, and other data they can actually retrieve from your social media, where they have um, computer algorithms, computer code that is designed at reading your pictures that you put up on social media, on your Facebook and Twitter or Instagram, your videos that you might be innocently posting of you out with your family. And the insurance companies mm. now throughout the world are using big data to take information from that to see how much they can squeeze you for price. And as I said, that's something that I want to make illegal. As a result of being able to send that dossier to the central bank and, and, and discussions I've had with the governor and with the head of the CCPC, they have now agreed to to 
instigate uh, a wide-scale investigation into the insurance industry in relation to these practices. But it's in everybody's interest, is it not, for insurance companies to engage in that type of practice, at least on occasion, because we hear of false claims. Uh, And uh, let's say somebody says, uh, I wasn't able to run, uh, and then participated in a a 10K marathon. Uh, Well, the evidence of that uh, would mean that it was a false claim and uh, the payout wouldn't be made. Yeah, no, look, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And we've seen that actually with the a high-profile TD, and I'm not talking about the one that was on the swing with the bottles of wine. I'm talking about Alan Farrell, who who claimed substantial damages in in in, in our so damages in a court um, case, and uh, in the court case, uh, pictures were presented of him hanging up a poster and turning around and smiling to the camera. So you know it, it, that 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 can mm. and, and should be used in in relation to questioning claims, uh, whether legitimate or not. Uh, that's that's no problem. This is something different, Michael. So your 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 listener out there um, may not be aware that, it, that what 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 these companies try and do is punish loyalty. So instead of actually rewarding loyalty, which most companies do, these companies punish loyalty. Their job and their computer programs are about how much can we charge you, uh, base and and. Uh, and and still for you to stay with the company. Yeah. So they're trying to get that price point where they can charge you the most amount of money, at, but you will still stay with the company. And wh- how they do that is to look at some of the information that you, we have posted online. Uh, and like that can be innocent stuff about us, a video of us out with our, with our kids. Mm. And they're able to take information from that that actually identifies the price sensitivity of us and our family. And through an, through a video, it might be us on holidays, it might be, you know, a, a family at Disneyland, and they're able to say, well, this family is able to take an extra 100 euro on their price premium and so on. And and they use a lot of information. They use educational attainment, and they don't just use it about charging us. They also use it in relation to paying out claims. So two people with the exact same accident uh, with the exact same claim, with the exact same damages or injuries, could be offered uh, by the same company two different types of awards. One based on uh, big data, uh, because, for example, say some somebody from Donnybrook, Dublin 4, mm. might get a higher claim than somebody from uh, you know the inner city in Dublin or a housing estate in, in Dundalk, because the data that the insurance company has is that that certain street might have a high level of early school leavers, which therefore means that they will not challenge the company in relation to the level of award. This is absolutely blatant profiteering, price gouging, and it's it's wrong in, in, in numerous ways. And that's why even in the United States, where we have a whole free market and, and rampant capitalism, that they have banned it across 20 states in, in the United States because it's unfair to consumers. In Britain, when they investigated this, they identified that it affected 6 million cons- uh, customers and that these customers were overcharged 1.4 billion uh, billion euro every single year. The people that are mostly affected by it are people with disabilities, people in low incomes and the elderly. And it needs to be banned here and I'm not going to rest until it is banned here. And, and these meetings mm. are part of that. It's about sharing your story, it's about supporting this, but it's also about many of the other things that are happening with the ind- uh, within the industry. And also some tips and advice as to the best way to, to try and get um, you know the best quote that you can get either from motor insurance or home insurance. I'm delighted, Michael, that that, that uh, Peter Boland from the Alliance of Insurance Reform will be here at the meeting as well, and he has been a champion on this issue. And indeed, 
the legislation that I, I, I passed uh, in the Dáil. Uh, we've worked with Peter Boland in relation to a, a certain part of that, and that is about the transparency now where companies will have to provide you with the details of how much they charged you over the last five years and what claims were made on your policy over the last five years. This mm-hmm. is something the industry are fighting tooth and nail because the industry hates transparency. Transparency is the enemy of, of the industry, but transparency is the friend of the consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why this legislation is crucially important for a number of reasons, but not least that one. And are we being overcharged to some degree because of a, a lack of transparency or because of our own conceptions? Uh, because uh, there are some common conceptions and sometimes common misconceptions uh, because uh, we were talking about the claims culture a few moments ago and uh, I think we're all of uh, the belief that there's a claims culture in this country and that's feeding into the price of uh, insurance. Uh, but perhaps it's not as bad as we might think and perhaps the insurance companies are not paying out as much as they might like us to think. So, first of all, there are claims that you can read in the papers um, that I actually think that are either the, cl- the awards are too high or the claims should never be made in the first place. So let's 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 state that as fact. But the question is, is and this in the, the insurance industry and the spin that the insurance industry put out, is there a combo culture, a claims culture in Ireland? No, there's not. The, if you look at between Ireland and Britain, if you live in Birmingham as opposed to uh, to 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 to, to uh, Bunbeg and, and Donegal, or if you you, you live in 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 anywhere in in Britain, you will be more likely to claim on your insurance policy. Indeed, you're twice more likely to claim for a personal injury than you are if you live in the 26 counties. So, if there's a claims culture in Ireland, it must be rampant in Britain. Yet the insurance costs in Britain are 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 far lower for motorists and for businesses than they are in Ireland. But even if you look at just the insurance industry's own statistics, over the last four years, from 2014 to 2017, there have been 55,000 less claims. That's a drop of 22%. The number of people claiming are dropping dramatically. The cost of claims, so this is a measure which the industry uses themselves, and it's a measure of, Michael, for every euro that they bring in on an insurance policy, how much should they pay out in claims? In Ireland, a number of companies that came before our committee told us that it's 65 cent, which means for every euro they bring in in premium, they pay out 65 in claims. In, in, in Europe, the average is 75, which means we're far better, less claims or less payouts in Ireland. And in, 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 in Britain, it is, it is 92 cent. So therefore, we're not in any way uh, that type of comp culture. We don't have a comp culture. We don't have what the industry tells us is that one in fifth of us are, are fraudsters and making fraudulent claims. We know that from quizzing the industry and from exposing their, their spin in relation to this here, that as little as 0.1% are, are fraudulent or suspected fraudulent claims. And we're very clear in that in Sinn Féin. That needs to be stamped out no matter how little it is. It needs to be stamped out. And that's why we need a dedicated Garda Insurance Fraud Squad. So we don't have a compo culture. We don't have the fraud at the level they are at. They will argue that the level of claims is going up year on year. It's not. Again, when we see from the court services and from the uh, Personal Injuries Assessment Board, they show in the last four years that the amount, the total amount that the industry pays out on claims has gone down by 15%. Uh, so the claims are coming down. The number of claims are coming down. The, the fraud isn't at the level that they're saying. Mm. The only thing that's going up here is the actual premiums. Over the same period that I'm talking about, we have been charged an extra 700 million euro per year in motor 
motor insurance premiums. And why? Because the profits of this industry have skyrocketed. They made 230 million euro profit last year. That was an increase of 1,300%. And that's what's happening within the industry and it needs to be stamped out. Okay, people can meet with you uh, because you want to hear their stories at half past seven in the Imperial Hotel in Dundalk this evening. Thank you indeed, Pierce Doherty, Sinn Féin's spokesperson on finance. Now, some breaking news. As uh, we had mentioned earlier on, it has to be decided uh, this morning uh, by half ten as to whether Lisa Smith would be charged or released. The news this morning is that Lisa Smith has been charged with terror offences and we'll hear more. More on the bulletin at 11 o'clock this morning. An independent review that was led by the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists has found that cervical cancer was not identified in 159 women despite an opportunity to identify the cancer in these women under the cervical check screening program. It also found that there was an opportunity to avoid the need for radical surgery. Radiography or chemotherapy may have been avoided for 105 of the women and another nine women because of failures through colposcopy tests. Twelve of the women involved in the latest review have since died. Let's talk about this with Rosie Condra, who is one of the women affected by the cervical check misdiagnosis scandal. A very good morning to you, Rosie, and thanks for joining us. The Minister for Health has been expressing his confidence in the National Screening Programme. How do you feel about cervical check at this stage? Um, Good morning, Michael. Um uh, how do I collect my thoughts? Um, I watched Prime Time last night, and um, I think I'm just just speechless um, that um, Lorraine has resigned her position yeah, on sure. the steering group. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think everyone, I think I can safely say, everyone in the two two one group mm-hmm. um, hold her in very high regard. We trust her. We know that she was there being the voice along with Stephen Teep on the steering group and indeed Vicky Phelan. Um, they're incredible people. They've given a lot of time to advocating for us all. Um, so I'm very upset and concerned in regard that Lorraine, like obviously done so with a very heavy heart last night. Mm. I think anyone watching uh, Prime Time would have felt the impact and um, seen it on her and the impact uh, is working through the whole group this morning and um, how the I can't help but feel um, um, a deep sense of sorrow like there's more families and women impacted by a failure of the cervical check screening and um, I think the hope we all have is that the Gabriel Scali uh, report um, and the recommendations will be fully um, uh, implemented and the HPV testing uh, has the potential to um, get an infection early on before it um, become if the cells become cancerous and um, I just feel uh, I feel let down once again I feel uh, on Taoiseach's apology was very sincere and um, 
the words like deceit and humiliation definitely would resonate with all of us. Um, I think a service, I would say, you know, a service that says patient-centred, I think we need to be saying words like person-centred rather than patient. Um, as Lorraine said last night, so many people have been robbed of so much and it comes down to dignity and respect. I think if you treat uh, a fellow human being uh, as a person, treat them with dignity and respect, that will naturally mean open disclosure, mm. which we've achieved. Um, like, a lot has happened, a lot of good has happened, but um, the latest revelations, you know, there's some 250, I think, more people now impacted and will be a member of our 221 group. Mm. The group is very supportive, but it still doesn't take away a lot of that hurt. And we all want to trust in um, in our healthcare system, and in particular for women with the cervical check. It's a very undignified process, but you would like to think at the end of the day you will be in um, uh, will receive full information about yourself. I think it was clear that Lorraine Walsh didn't take the decision to step down from uh, the steering group lightly. Uh, she uh, was clearly upset, uh, emotional uh, to some degree uh, in respect of talking about it and very thankful for everything that everybody has put into it and how everybody has worked so hard to bring about some understanding and justice, if you like, for the women involved. In some circumstances, uh, people have passed on and that's not been possible. But I think it was equally clear that Lorraine Walsh uh, felt let down and let down again and again and let down once too often. Would that have been your interpretation of it? I think so, because we're like we all want to know the truth of what happened to also, like those of us, like I can't imagine how it is for families who are dealing with it where their loved one has passed on and they want, witness them go through a horrific, you know, um, treatment and everything. And at the end of the day, they passed away. And then you hear that there was the potential to make their story different. And I think it's very important to understand that uh, everyone impacted in this um, debacle, this scandal, potentially could have had a better outcome. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, the apology is very welcome and there is a healing um, part in that. And when, when I first met Gabriel Scali and he met us all um, as a group up in Dublin, the sigh of, um, like, it was like a gasp, someone saying sorry to you, an acknowledgement. So an acknowledgement does go a long way and that's part of open disclosure and it's quite um, it's quite concerning I would say that you know Lorraine and Vicky and another lady had um, labels misplaced labels on their on their slides like it doesn't increase um, a sense of reassurance so I think that's going to have to be explained and that again has, like I can talk for myself, but I'm sure it echoes how um, all in the two to one group, and again, 250 more people impacted, and um, a shiver of can we trust what we're being told? Like, hopefully, the fact that they told Bond, Lorraine, Vicky, and the other lady in question that the labels uh, were 
their slides were mislabeled, but that's an attempt at open disclosure. I, mm. I just don't know how to feel about that because it, it certainly sent a shiver in me and my husband last night going, oh my goodness. So mm. I'm shocked, of course, with Lorraine. That the, the, the label with their name uh, and patient number and so mm. on was on the slide uh, and mm. removed and a different name put on somehow. Yes, because you want to be mm. confident that the slide being reviewed is your slide, that it is mm. your um, cells that are on it and that you're getting the proper report for you on the slide. And we all know the slides are not diagnostic. Mm. You'd want a diagnostic biopsy, you know, to be certain. Hard to understand. Uh, hard to understand uh, that uh, somebody would go for screening and have cancer and it not be seen. Uh, but uh, is it unreasonable to have such a high expectation that that would always happen? Uh, because uh, the review group uh, found that the level of discordance, as they put it, would have been similar uh, to reviews of cases that they undertook in England, for example. I think, look, um, I do work as a nurse here in a Lady Lyric Hospital and what I would say is person-centred means you're, you're uh, an open disclosure, means you're open and honest with the person in front of you. Um, none of us are going, how do I put this? Um, we're all realistic. Um, you would expect that um, if there was some discordance with results that you'd be informed of it and that therefore the service will be improved. But you will be expected, I would expect as a service user that I was fully informed of anything that was happening in relation to me or slides or Mm. biopsies or anything in relation to my health. So I... Okay, so we have... uh this huge number of uh, women uh, who have been told uh, they have cancer after being told that they didn't. 159 women out of over 1,000 who were reviewed and there's others now who are wondering uh, if their case is similar. Uh, And there's this call for funding so that they would be able to have uh, their smears uh, reviewed independently uh, because uh, this is quite a costly process. Um, I think it's when we start talking about costs... um I think that is diluting the situation of where people are. What you're doing is ensuring the best outcome for people. And um, the best outcome is making sure you're you're, um, not in the curing, that you're in the prevention. So you prevent. So that's why the the screening service is there. Um, I think um, it's... I wouldn't be... um, I'm glad I don't have to decide where funds go to, but I think women have been treated as second-class citizens for long enough, and now we we have voices and we are earning them through people, of course, in relation to the cervical check like Stephen Teep, like uh, Lorraine Walsh, and with Vicky Phelan. And I think um, it's very important not to dampen the message that, that we're trying to get out there as the 221 group. We are saying that this, uh, the cervical check is an essential service, but if it needs to improve, it needs to improve. And in order to restore uh, confidence, and confidence is very important to have, because if you're not confident, you won't use the service. If a means of um, gaining confidence 
is investing more money, then yes, you have to invest more money. We're, you're saving lives. Mm. You're trying to get in there early. Why wouldn't you invest in in that? Okay, Rosie. I, I think to... it's yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just uh, I'm running over time, but thank you indeed uh, for joining us thank here. It's nice much. to talk to you as always, Rosie Condra, uh, a member thank of uh, the two two one group and uh, one of uh, the people uh, affected by the cervical check misdiagnosis, uh, who is well and working in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda this morning. Now, Stephen Brain, crime editor with the Irish Sun, is on the line. Uh, thanks for coming back to us, uh, Stephen. Uh, you have a, a, an update for us on Lisa Smith. Yes, Michael, just this morning the Guardi had a meeting um, with the Director of Public Prosecutions just in relation to the arrest at the weekend. The number of meetings have been held since her arrest and it relates to the Guardi uh, in relation to uh, her and uh, that now the DPP has directed that Lisa Smith should be charged and she's still being held in Kevin Street Garda Station, but she will be brought to court within the next hour, where she will be charged with the, the second offence that was on the warrant of her arrest, and that a second offence relates to her allegedly providing material assistance to a prescribed organisation, namely uh, ISIL, uh, in this case. OK, Stephen, uh, we'll watch that with interest. Thank you indeed uh, for bringing us up to speed uh, with uh, the latest developments. Uh, that's Stephen Breen, Crime Editor with The Irish Sun. The Michael Reed Show. Call Michael now. 1850 uh, The Central Statistics Office has confidence in Garda crime figures and has published uh, the latest crime statistics uh, showing that uh, the number of uh, crimes uh, detected in 2018 differed depending on the offence very differently in some cases. Drugs offences that uh, were detected were detected at a rate of 85% and the detection rate for sex crimes was just 11%. That's 11% of uh, crimes reported that were detected or solved. Let's talk about this with Nolan Blackwell, Chief Executive Officer of uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Very good morning to you, Nolan, and thanks indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, Of 11%... Uh, of uh, sex crimes were detected or yes. solved. Uh, that follows that 89% were unsolved. Yes. And you you have to put this then in the context that this is a, a, a set of crimes that are typically very underreported uh, because partly part of the reason people don't report them is that it is so disruptive of their family circle or their social circle or whichever group of people... Um, uh, they were involved because in in this type of crime, compared to all others, this kind of violence happens where the person mm. who is complaining about the violence knows the complainant and is often very intimately related to them. So that can prevent people reporting in the first place. Then we also know that the justice system as it stands is not easy on people who complain of this kind of, mm. of uh, crime because very often the defence to the crime will be that the other person is saying they were consenting. So you are talking about the most intimate things. If you add to those difficulties, the fact of reporting it at all, the fact of even acknowledging it, Mm. then the fact of reporting it. And if you then have to say to whoever is reporting, the current information we have is that there's a 90% chance that this 
crime won't be detected, that it won't go forward to prosecution. You really are making it very, very difficult for people to have confidence in the system. Now, I, uh, before anybody <laughs> complains, uh, I, I absolutely accept that this is the first time that these figures have come out, uh, that it refers to uh, crimes which were reported in 2018. And it may very well be that sexual offences take longer to investigate, partly because mm. the two people are known to each other than other types of offences. But given and everything so it, that you've said, you yeah. have to assume that only a, a fraction of a percent of offenders are brought to book. That's right. And that's the real problem for all of us as a society. It is bad enough to be a victim trying to work out, will you report your offence into the justice system? But all of us in society have a problem where the chances of being detected as a sexual offender, as a sex offender, that the chances of being detected are very, very small. Close and we to zero. All know, mm. As we all know about crime, if, if people can get away with things without a great chance of them being caught, then they're more likely to do it. I heard you so, on the news last night say the Gardaí need better training, they need more resources, more Gardaí deployed to yeah. this type of work. Uh, how do we compare to other countries? All right, so we have uh, we have a situation where we are we are coming in into line, but compared to say our neighbouring jurisdictions in the UK, where every guard the force, every police force in the UK will have a dedicated unit, we have. Only 13 of our 28 divisions with a dedicated unit with specialist investigators in relation to domestic, sexual and gender-based violence. And the problem with that, Michael, is that they are, they have to be investigated in different ways. Now, the, the state, the Gardaí have rolled out another three divisions recently, at th- but 13 is still less than half of the divisions in the state with a specialist unit dealing with this type of crime. So th- the resources need to be put into that. Every single pers- person involved in the entire guard system who might ne- meet with a victim mm. needs to be properly trained because we found again and again that some of the guard are brilliant and some of them just don't know what to do. They're uncomfortable. They hate doing the work and that makes it harder. Okay. There is also the issue that often these crimes are not reported until later. So you need good people doing this because they have to investigate crimes that are not necessarily current. Okay. Uh, there's and a whole lot. Of it has to be said that, that, that this is just the criminal aspect of, of uh, these crimes and uh, whilst uh, there are always crimes, there are many sides to it and uh, people may decide to deal with it uh, through the judicial system or not uh, as you say, uh, yes. regardless of the circumstances, but there's help at hand uh, whether people want uh, help in taking criminal action or help in recovering themselves. Uh, you have your 24-hour helpline which is 1-800-77-8888 That's 1-800-77-8888 if people want more information from you. We leave it there for the moment though, Nolene, and thank, thank you, you for joining us here on the programme this morning. Nolene Blackwell, Chief Executive Officer of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, brings our programme to its conclusion today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.